love conquers death. The last days of Jesus on earth. The last week of his life, Jesus entered Jerusalem acclaimed by the crowds as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior promised to mankind after her fall and expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Crossing through a triumphal arc of palms and songs, like a great king who returns home victorious, Jesus then entered the temple with a whip, expelled the merchants and money changers who extorted money from the people, earning himself once again the hatred of the authorities, who no doubt received a commission from those merchants operating with impunity in the temple. They, the authorities, would put him to the test with that malicious trick question, remember, about whether it was legitimate to pay taxes to the Roman emperor or not, and which Jesus resolved by answering, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. In those days of his last week on earth, Jesus blessed the poor widow who could only put two cents into the temple offering declaring that she had offered more than all the rich men put together, for they gave out of their surplus, while she had given all she had. And he warned his disciples to beware of religious authorities and of fake rumors, fake news, about the end of the world, which interestingly continue to appear regularly today, more than 2,000 years later. That last week, Jesus performed more miracles and healings and taught from early each morning in the temple courtyard, where people crowded around to hear him preach. Oh, but how quickly corrupt politicians can turn the masses to violence. Many of the same men and women who welcomed Jesus as a triumphant king, singing praises and shielding him from the rays of the sun with palm branches on Sunday morning were crying out on Thursday night for him to be crucified. Incited by their political and religious leaders, the screaming mob threatened even the Roman governor Pilate with its potential for violence until he agreed to sacrifice Jesus to avoid a bloody riot. Better one man die than hundreds or thousands. And so begin the last hours of Christ on earth. This complex plot at the end of the life of the Son of Man is narrated with masterly detail and drama by a young Greek doctor who would devote his life to preaching the message of Jesus throughout the Mediterranean world. This is the Gospel of Luke, the beloved physician, chapters 22 to 24. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, also called Passover, drew near. The high priests and religion scholars were looking for a way to do away with Jesus, but, fearful of the people, they were also looking for a way to cover their tracks. That's when Satan entered Judas, the one called Iscariot. He was one of the twelve. 
leaving the others he conferred with the high priests and the temple guards about how he might betray Jesus to them. They couldn't believe their good luck and agreed to pay him well. He gave them his word and started looking for a way to betray Jesus, but out of sight of the crowd. The day of unleavened bread came, the day the Passover lamb was butchered. Jesus sent Peter and John off, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, so we can eat it together. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, You've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it, then said, Take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. Do you realize that the hand of the one who is betraying me is at this moment on this table? It's true that the Son of Man is going down a path already marked out. No surprises there. But for the one who turns him in, turns traitor to the Son of Man. This is doomsday. They immediately became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do this. Within minutes, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be? The one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves, and you've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me, so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. Peter, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Peter, I prayed for you in particular, that you not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I'm ready for anything with you. I'd go to jail for you. I'd die for you. Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have three times denied that you know me. Leaving there, he went, as he so often did, to Mount Olives. The disciples followed him. When they arrived at the place, he said, 
Pray that you don't give in to temptation. He pulled away from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, remove this cup from me. But please, not what I want. What do you want? At once an angel from heaven was at his side, strengthening him. He prayed on all the harder. Sweat wrung from him like drops of blood poured off his face. He got up from prayer, went back to the disciples and found them asleep, drugged by grief. He said, What business do you have sleeping? Get up. Pray so you won't give in to temptation. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than a crowd showed up. Judas, the one from the twelve, in the lead. He came right up to Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said, Judas, you would betray the Son of Man with a kiss. Jesus spoke to those who had come, high priests, temple police, religion leaders. What is this? Jumping on me with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal? Day after day I've been with you in the temple and you've not so much as lifted a hand against me. But do it your way. It's a dark night, a dark hour. Arresting Jesus, they marched him off and took him into the house of the chief priest. Peter followed, but at a safe distance. In the middle of the courtyard, some people had started a fire and were sitting around it, trying to keep warm. One of the serving maids sitting at the fire noticed him, then took a second look and said, This man was with him. This man was with Jesus. Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. A short time later, someone else noticed him and said, You're one of them. But Peter denied it. Man, I don't even know him. About an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. He's got to have been with him. He's got Galilean written all over him. Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. Just then, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master had said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and cried, and cried, and cried. The men in charge of Jesus began poking fun at him, slapping him around. They put a blindfold on him and taunted, Ha! Who hit you this time? Tell us, prophet! They were having a grand time with him. When it was morning, the religious leaders of the people and the high priests and scholars all got together and brought him before their high council. They said, Are you the Messiah? He answered, If I said yes, you wouldn't believe me. 
If I asked what you meant by your question, you wouldn't answer me. So here's what I have to say. From here on, the Son of Man takes his place at God's right hand, the place of power. They all said, So you admit your claim to be the Son of God. You're the ones who keep saying it, he said. But they had made up their minds. Why do we need any more evidence? We've all heard him as good as say it himself. Then they all took Jesus to Pilate and began to bring up charges against him. They said, We found this man undermining our law and order, forbidding taxes to be paid to Caesar, setting himself up as Messiah and king. Pilate asked him, Is this true, that you're king of the Jews? Those are your words, not mine, Jesus replied. Pilate told the high priests and the accompanying crowd, I find nothing wrong here. He seems harmless enough to me. But they were adamant. He's tearing up unrest among the people with his teaching, disturbing the peace everywhere, starting in Galilee and now all through Judea. He's a dangerous man, endangering the peace. When Pilate heard that, he asked, So, he's a Galilean? Realizing that he properly came under Herod's jurisdiction, he passed the back to Herod, who just happened to be in Jerusalem for a few days. Herod was delighted when Jesus showed up. He had wanted for a long time to see him. He'd heard so much about him. He hoped to see him do something spectacular. He peppered him with questions. Jesus didn't answer. Not one word. But the high priests and religion scholars were right there, saying their peace, strident and shrill in their accusations. Mightily offended, Herod turned on Jesus. His soldiers joined in, taunting and jeering. Then they dressed him up in an elaborate king costume and sent him back to Pilate. That day Herod and Pilate became thick as thieves, always before they had kept their distance. Then Pilate called in the high priests, rulers, and the others, and said, You brought this man to me as a disturber of the peace. I examined him in front of all of you and found there was nothing to your charge, and neither did Herod. It's clear that he's done nothing wrong, let alone anything deserving death. I'm going to warn him to watch his step and let him go. At that, the crowd went wild. Kill him! Free us, Barabbas! Barabbas had been thrown in prison for starting a riot in the city and for murder. Pilate still wanted to let Jesus go and so spoke out again. But they kept shouting back. Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate tried a third time. But for what crime? I found nothing in him deserving death. I'm going to warn him to watch his step and let him go. But they kept at it, a shouting mob demanding that he be crucified. And finally, they shouted Pilate down. Pilate caved in and gave them what they wanted. He released the man thrown in prison for rioting and murder and gave them Jesus to do whatever they wanted.
As they led him off, they made Simon, a man from Cyrene who happened to be coming in from the countryside, carry the cross behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed, along with women weeping and carrying on. At one point, Jesus turned to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. The time is coming when they'll say, Lucky the women who never conceived. Lucky the wombs that never gave birth. Lucky the breasts that never gave milk. Then they'll start calling to the mountains, Fall down on us. Calling to the hills, Cover us up. If people do these things to a live, green tree, can you imagine what they'll do with dead wood? Two others, both criminals, were taken along with him for execution. When they got to the place called Skull Hill, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dividing up his clothes, they threw dice for them. The people stood there staring at Jesus, and the ringleaders made faces, taunting. He saved others. Let him save himself. The Messiah of God. <laughs> the chosen one. <laughs> the soldiers also came up and poked fun at him, making a game of it. They toasted him with sour wine. <laughs> so you're king of the Jews. <laughs> save yourself. <laughs> Printed over him was a sign. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him. Some messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus said, I will. Today, you will join me in paradise. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark, the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtains split right down the middle. Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. Then he breathed his last. When the captain there saw what happened, he honored God. This man was innocent. A good man and innocent. All who had come around as spectators to watch the show, when they saw what actually happened, were overcome with grief and headed home. Those who knew Jesus well, along with the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a respectful distance and kept vigil. There was a man by the name of Joseph, a member of the Jewish High Council, a man of good heart and good character. 
He had not gone along with the plans and actions of the council. His hometown was the Jewish village of Arimathea. He lived in alert expectation of the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Taking him down, he wrapped him in a linen shroud and placed him in a tomb chiseled into the rock, a tomb never yet used. It was the day before the Sabbath, the Sabbath just about to begin. The women who had been companions of Jesus from Galilee followed along. They saw the tomb where Jesus' body was placed. Then they went back to prepare burial spices and perfumes. They rested quietly on the Sabbath, as commanded. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of their master, Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, Why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up? Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all these to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. Peter, however, jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few burial clothes. That's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, What's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleophas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? Jesus asked, What has happened? They said, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. (sighs) But now some of our women have completely confused us.
Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said, He was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said. But they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, So thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them, and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Peter saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them. Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, Do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Then he said, Everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the Word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, You can see now how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life changed through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Starting from here, from Jerusalem, you're the first to hear and see it. You're the witnesses. What comes next is very important. I am sending what my father promised to you, so stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. He then led them out of the city over to Bethany 
Raising his hands, he blessed them, and while blessing them, took his leave, being carried up to heaven. And they were on their knees, worshipping him. They returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. They spent all their time in the temple, praising God. Yes. The fact that Jesus spent his last moments hanging between two thieves, two criminals, and still managed to save one of them there on the cross is very telling. And that the first person who saw him rise from the dead was a prostitute from whom he had cast out several demons speaks more eloquently than anything else about who this perplexing God-Messiah is. This recent savior who vanquished social prejudice, death, and evil. And it also speaks of how complete the restoration of the person who comes into contact with him is. Having been lost, exploited, and possessed, Mary Magdalene became a pillar of the fledgling Christian community and had the cosmic privilege of being the first awestruck witness to the miracle that was the risen Jesus, conqueror of death. I just survived the coronavirus infection. I spent ten days on the edge of complications that could have had a fatal outcome. But it all turned into a season of personal renewal, allowing me to gain a new understanding of my priorities and my distractions, my talents, my mission, and the burdens that I foolishly drag along with me through life as dead weight. This is the invitation, the opportunity for rebirth, renewal, resurrection that each Holy Week offers us, each Easter season offers us. We face torture and judgment on the Thursday, crucifixion and death on the Friday, a visit to hell on the Saturday, and resurrection to a glorious life at dawn on Sunday hearing the radiant whisper of the angels singing in heavenly choirs the glory of the Father of lights and life. We need to reawaken, to be reborn at every turn. We need to reboot today and embrace a new life imbued with light. What we celebrate in Easter, in Holy Week, is the rebirth and the glorious blast of life. Fragile, defenseless, and ephemeral, caught in the clutches of death that miraculously survives oblivion and extinction once again. 
we remember and celebrate God's love and compassion in submitting himself to death in order to conquer death for us in our place for our exclusive benefit. Death is an unfathomable deep, too dark, abysmal, frightening for us, and we will never face it and overcome it by ourselves. Only God, the source of life, can conquer death. No one else. Under this, Christ saved the murderer Barabbas by taking his place on the cross, like mine. And the two criminals, the two felons crucified with Jesus, represent all of humanity. We all carry a cross. We are all on a cross. This world is our cross. What makes Christianity unique and baffling is that God would be willing to share our fate, no matter how dark and bitter it may be. No other God in any other doctrine ever has had the power, let alone the inclination, to do this. Christ was willing to crucify himself with us. We are not alone. And this irrevocably transforms the nature of our cross. Now, which of the two felons are we? The bitter, frightened, spiteful thief who insults Jesus as he dies at his side? Or the one who at last awakens to his plight, asks for help, and receives there, hanging on the cross, eternal life, a seat at the banquet, the embrace of God himself, and the ovation of the angels. Only God can defeat death and restore life to its original fullness and glory, as it was in Eden. That is what Christ won for us on the cross. And that, of course, is a victory that we will celebrate each day. By rolling back the stone from his tomb, Christ opened the door to life for all of us. Thank you for listening. Visit RadiantWhispers.com to hear more dramatized readings like this.